0: All right, I think we are we are going to get started good afternoon everyone and welcome to today's complimentary webinar the longest expansion on record which will be presented by Dr. Love Burdowski chief risk officer here at Star Mountain Capital and also the editor of the Wall Street Journal's The Daily Shot. My name is John Polis and I am the chief operating and technology officer for your webinar host Star Mountain Capital and I will be your moderator today. For those of you who are not uh, aware of us, Star Mountain is a specialized asset management firm focused on investing in the large and underserved US lower middle market of companies with typically under $15 million of EBITDA. Star Mountain's differentiated business model includes a custom built media and technology platform bringing proven large market resources to smaller businesses as a value added lender and investment partner. Before I hand over the reins to Lev, I did want to let you know that your audio is muted and will be for the entirety of the presentation. Also as a disclaimer, I wanted to note that nothing presented in this webinar or webinar materials that you're going to receive constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase by Star Mountain interest in any investment product. We have allocated time at the end of the presentation for Q&A. If you do have a question, you can type it into the Q&A chat box of your WebEx client. We will try to get to as many questions as possible before our time is up. Now about our presenter, Dr. Lev Brodovsky has over 20 years of experience covering private equity, risk management and operations. He was a founding team member and chief risk officer and managing director for the GSO Blackstone platform, which was one of the most successful global credit and loan investing platforms uh, ever. Currently, uh, Lev is the Chief Risk Officer here at Star Mountain Capital, and he's also the editor of the Wall Street Journal's The Daily Shot, which is a chart-based newsletter covering select global economic and market trends that is now part of the Wall Street Journal. Lev, this is our, I think it's our fourth webinar together, and we're excited uh, to get back together for this quarterly check-in.
1: Sounds great. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. Good afternoon, everybody. Please excuse me, I got a bit of a cough, but uh, I think we'll get through this OK. Um, so this is uh, I, I write The Daily Shot, and The Daily Shot is, is about charts. And, and so we're going to take a look at uh, a few topics uh, in a chart-based format, visual-based format. It's a, a quick way to absorb a, um, a lot of uh, information, for, for me, at least. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the, the US economy um and um uh, here are some some things we're going to we're going to cover first of all you know how long is the US you know how well is the US economy doing now uh we, we you know we hear all sorts of uh news reports and and so on we're going to look at some 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 data um you know how long will the this current economic expansion last um and then, you know, how will the cycle end? What, what will be the catalyst uh, for this expansion to, to finally come to a close? And we're going to look at three key risks uh, that, that could trigger this, uh, the end of the uh, economic cycle. Um, one is trade policy, which is on the top of everybody's minds these days, uh, monetary policy, uh, and the, the, the strength of the dollar. Uh, which a lot of times um, people underestimate as, as a potential risk. So let's get started. So how's the U.S. economy doing now? Um, if you look at the current quarter, um, I think we're um, w- we haven't seen this this good of a situation in in years. Um, the if you look at the median forecast of uh, economists, they're basically saying that the current quarter GDP growth is on track to be at 3.4%, well above uh, sort of averages that we've been running. Uh, And they've been, uh, as the first chart on the left shows, they've been upgrading uh, their forecast for this quarter uh, for quite some time, and they continue to do so. Uh, on the right uh, is a chart from the Atlanta Fed, which has a model that uh, does what's called nowcasting, which is an estimate of economic growth based on all the parameters and data that, that, that's coming in in real time. And, and they're looking at a uh, growth of a, above 4.5%, uh, which is extraordinary uh, for the United States. The economy is booming, uh, and you know every indicator, major indicator, you look at um, shows uh, tremendous growth um, from uh, manufacturing to uh, labor markets. Uh, the The economy is is in great shape. And if you look at the as an just an example, I mean, and there's dozens and dozens of these examples. On the left side um, on this chart, we show the uh, freight index, uh, both shipments and expenditures relative to previous years, uh, and that's a good sort of real-time indicator of the economy. Uh, shipping, obviously, shipping activity is obviously a, a measure of uh, how how uh, the economy is doing, and we're well above the previous years and continue to trend higher. And on the right, again, we see a couple of forecasts, one from Oxford Economics showing, you know, projecting this quarter to to hit 4.5%. And uh, on the bottom right is is Goldman's forecast, which is uh, close to 4% of GDP growth this quarter, which is is really uh,
2: impressive. One thing that's striking also is.
1: if you if you compare the u s to other large uh, advanced economies uh the u s is the only one that's been surprising to the upside where um, uh, economic expectations uh around the world were have been a little bit disappointing in the u s it's it's really uh surprising um, you know how strong the the growth is and and part of the reason is the, the great what I call um, uh, fiscal stimulus or um, um, sugar high, as <laughs> some people call it, where a, a massive tax cut, uh, both in the corporate sector and in the households, as well as uh, increased government spending, which is a fairly dramatic increase in government spending, which is surprising for a given the. Um, that uh, you know, it's a Republican-run um, government. Uh, spending has jumped significantly, and it's it's spending across the board from from you know the Pentagon to um, uh, other other types of uh, government spending, and and that's those two things alone. Um, uh, can explain some of the some of this upside surprise, you know, the, uh,
2: the the sugar high. The question is, how long will this last? So, this is an interesting chart. Um, this
1: this this firm called Bianco Research uh, did a. Um, they they track things like new news items, and and they looked at at news flow, for items such as. Uh, you know, expressions as good as it gets, and growth, and uh, we see a spike recently in in this uh, in this sort of indicator, where basically news is saying you know we we're we're at 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 levels that could be as good as it gets. Um, and the question is, you
2: know, are we are we heading down from here? So, how long will the current expansion last? So, if you look at uh, I, here's one survey, and there are other surveys
1: done uh, like this, uh, basically, experts, economists, are all saying that around the year 2020, so in two years, um, the economy, the, this economic growth uh, will will end. So, the 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 cycle will, the this expansion cycle will come to an end and some are saying maybe maybe you'll give give it another year like uh, go out to 2021 but it's not that far so basically let's say 2 to 3 years is is kind of the range uh, some some are saying you know could be even even shorter like a year and a half potentially by the time the this expansion ends you will be the longest on record and, and thus, the, the title of this presentation. So, if you look at the chart on the right, uh, you can see in green, the, um, basically, this is the, uh, the latest expansion. And if it ends in, say, 2020, we're talking about 11 and a half years, uh, which will make it the longest recovery or expansion uh, on record. I guess the next longest was in in, in 1991. Uh, that was uh, a part of the um, the the technology boom that took place in the 90s. But of course, this this expansion is nowhere near as robust as the previous ones, and that's why it doesn't feel like. And you know, talk to people and say, you know, what are you talking about the longest expansion? Well, uh, it doesn't feel like the longest expansion because uh, it's been so shallow, right? If you look at the rate at which uh, the economy expanded this time around, it's been uh, much slower than in the recent previous reset, uh, recoveries. Uh, since the, uh, I guess, the late '50s, or early '50s, um, and uh, and that is potentially one of the reasons it continues to be to expand for for this long amount of time. If you think about, it, if if the economy grew quicker, uh, we would have had higher inflation and potentially uh, more aggressive um, Federal Reserve which would end the expansion faster but given the the slow nature of this expansion um the interest rates remained low for for quite a long
2: time and uh, allowed this this growth to continue but you know as as all, all good things
1: must come to an end and um if you look at forecasts uh they're all saying that this uh, exceptional third second quarter uh growth is um i it, it is what it it's it an exception right uh it is uh not going to be repeatable uh so on the left side you have a a chart from uh, capital economics shows the second quarter forecast of around four um, percent, and then dropping down in for the third quarter, and continue to decline as far as growth uh, through through the end of the year and early next year. On the right is a forecast for um, employment growth in the United States, which is sort of a a good metric to to measure. Uh, economic expansions, and you see uh, that this forecast says that ex- in 2020 uh, we'll have a much slower uh, growth in in employment.
2: And,
1: and part of the reason, by the way, for slower growth in employment is just there's um, the labor pool is is pretty tapped. There's there's not a lot of um, uh, Basically, slack labor out there. So th- that that's one of the reasons employment growth will slow. But you know, this particular forecast says that you know 2021 is when we'll
2: see a decline, where you'll see some layoffs, uh, and that's that's the next recession. So. If you survey
1: economic forecasters uh, from all different walks of life, they will all have a pretty similar forecast projection for uh, the economic growth in the next few years. Uh, One exception, of course, is the the White House that sees this growing at 3% per year uh, indefinitely. Um, And uh, again, that's what it is. It's an exception. Uh, but if you look at you know the fed uh, the cbo the imf and all the sort of economic forecasts from private uh, economists uh, are all sort of pretty similar and and they're basically saying that um growth will decelerate pretty rapidly from here on uh in fact it, it, the federal reserve sees long term what they call long run growth in the United States as below two percent they're just they don't see that um, in despite the recent improvements in in the economy and and great labor markets and so on they don't see longer term growth as being better than that and there there are really two reasons for that uh beyond sort of the the cyclical factors. There is there is a structural issue with the United States economy, and that is um, w- w- population growth has is basically slowed to a trickle. Uh, labor force is not, is not is not really growing, and uh, to to grow the economy, uh, you need you, you can do two ways. You can either um, increase the labor force, or you can um, increase productivity. There's no no other is mathematically impossible to do it any other way right uh you know labor force isn't growing and or barely growing and uh, you know especially as we get into more restrictive immigration policies um, uh, it it becomes even harder to grow the labor force and as far as the uh productivity uh, we haven't seen improvements. The productivity growth has slowed, and um, there's there's a little bit of a improvement lately because investment has has gotten better, but people don't think it's going to be dramatic going forward. So that's
2: that's kind of the that, those are the reasons why all the economy is going to converge in the same the same figures. So let's take a look at. How will the cycle end?
1: What are what are the events triggers that could bring an end to um, to this extension? And the first one uh, that that's on top of everybody's mind these days is trade policy, trade policy risks. So for those who joined us in our February presentation, you you may remember we discussed that as as one of the key uh, risks to both the markets and, and the economy. Uh, and Here's a slide from from the February presentation. So this should not be a surprise for those who who uh, who look at the our uh, presentations. Um, trade tensions uh, will will pose substantial risks to growth. Uh, we know that, the, and the market
2: is sort of reflecting that. the The biggest component of that risk,
1: obviously, is, is China, uh, where you know, it's, it's a massive uh, trade activity with, with that country in place. Um, and, and hurting that will, um, will have all sorts of adverse effects, especially if China retaliates, um, which, um, which will hurt quite a bit of um, production and employment in the United States. Um, you know, certainly investment, uh, and, and I'm hearing that the White House may pull back on their threats to to uh, limit tech investment in the U.S. But those those things will definitely have an impact on on growth. But that's not the only those are not the only risks. Uh, uh, NAFTA, for example, could have an even bigger effect if if you just pull out of NAFTA right now. Uh, it would be devastating for the U.S. economy. It, it would um, it would completely screw up the supply chains where uh, auto manufacturing uh, could come to a a halt. Uh, because if you think about a typical car, uh, you know, American manufactured car, uh, it has so many parts from from our NAFTA partners, and and uh, production goes back and forth. There are pieces being produced all over the place, um, and there there are a lot of parts where a certain portion of it is made in the U.S. then another portion of it is made in Mexico, and then you know Canada puts finishing touches on it or something like that. There's plenty of those kinds of examples, and if you pull the plug on that, um, it, it you know could get pretty ugly. Um, so that's that's a, a real problem, and, and certainly the, the, it will it will really hurt the farming community, which is already stressed. If you if you think about our rural communities, uh, and you've seen recently uh, prices of all all um, commodities that are exported, such as uh, soybeans, uh, taking a serious hit recently, and um, and that that's going to impact the uh, some of the rural communities in, in the U.S. Um the other one that, that could potentially be also devastating is the is a threat of auto tariffs uh which uh which we'll we'll talk about shortly. So so the chart on the left shows uh, what happens if we if the US imposes auto, you know, automotive tariffs on um uh all, all basically all, all our trading partners. Um, you're going to see uh, significant job losses and, and a slowdown in, in activity. So this this estimate says that um, the US could lose uh, 400,000 automotive jobs. That's in addition to about 70,000 lost due to the steel and aluminum tariffs which are already in place. Uh, and, and the idea there is, uh, you know the our, our government decides to support the the um steel industry in the United States which is which is basically a a dead industry It peaked back in in the 50s or, or whatever uh but we decide to support it um and and what happens is you get manufacturers who say wait a minute I could I could buy expensive steel in the US and ma- try to manufacture stuff here or I could already pr- buy the manufactured product from abroad because it's cheaper, right? It's cheaper to bring it from abroad than, than produce in the United States because of high steel pr- prices, right. So, so that's that's a real risk. And then if you look at the China situation, uh, the chart on the right kind of shows the impact on both China and the US as far as the economic hit. Uh you know, you know people say oh yeah we'll win the trade war. Of course, of course the US will win, quote unquote, the trade war. Uh China will get hurt more than the US uh in the trade war, but who has the staying power? Who has elections? I mean, the, you don't worry about uh um Xi Jinping um or, or or you know or anybody, you know, Chinese leaders uh losing elections, you know, that's that's not uh uh that's never been an issue. Um in the US, we don't have the same power because we have elections every 2 years and, and that things could change very rapidly and that's what China is
2: counting on. So so that that's kind of one of the issues. All right. Um so let continue with the with the trade situation, tariffs
1: are uh, already starting to have an impact on oh, tariff threats. Already starting to have an impact on um, on the economy. Uh, the the EU retaliation a- against uh, U.S. products is uh, is forcing um, Harley Davidson to potentially shift uh, production um, to abroad. And that's just an example of what will happen if if tariffs go into effect uh, broadly. And then you know on the right there's a chart that shows uh what happened when the u s imposed um tariffs on you know washers and dryers right washing machines and and that basically prices have gone off dramatically uh and you know including domestic producers raise prices and that hits the consumer directly <coughs> and and that's not not insignificant um if if that becomes
2: widespread you'll see the uh, bigger impact um so factory activity
1: has been in the us has been pretty pretty robust pretty strong Uh, but as you know aluminum and steel prices climb um some some manufacturers are starting to worry and uh, some of them are concerned about making investments, uh, building new factories. The uncertainty is a major factor in, in economic growth, um, and, and it, it, could, it could spread. So, uh, for the June uh, uh, manufacturing index from uh, IHS market showed a decline. Now, you know, it could be an aberration, a blip. But some have suggested that this could be some some of this nervousness creeping trade-related nervousness creeping into the manufacturing sector already. That's that's the chart on the right side. And of course, the biggest risk is that you know tariffs could hit the consumer. If you look at the threatened uh, uh, 200 billion tariff on China that the White House threatened recently. Um, that's going to hit uh the consumer pretty hard. If you look on the the left chart it shows how much consumers are buying from China from cell phones, computers, clothing, you know uh, toys, furniture, vehicles, appliances. all of that could become suddenly become more expensive. What's more is, and we'll talk about that shortly, but that will boost inflation, uh, which will force the the Fed potentially to raise rates even even higher, uh, and and further uh, slowing the economy. On the right um, is is a chart from Bianco Research that shows. Uh, what people are searching for on Google? what are they concerned about, right? And um, the, the the green the green curve is this trade policy and and that's become a, a concern for the consumer, right they're, they're They're thinking about it for sure, and that's, that's what this this is showing. And of course, investors are obviously very uneasy about uh, trade issues. Um, it's it's the number one concern uh, in this latest survey uh, from um, Spider America's research. Um, and you see geopolitical risks as uh, trade tensions in particular becoming uh, the number one concern. Uh, on the right is uh, BlackRock's. Uh, geopolitical risk indicator based on news flow. And you see the US-China relations risk spiking uh, as it did in, in uh,
2: 2012. OK, so let's we, we talked about
1: trade uh, so as one risk. So let's take a look at the second risk, which is uh, monetary
2: policy. The Fed already has been pretty aggressive
1: in, in its rate hikes since, uh, since sort of 2016. Um, basically, this chart shows that if, if the rate hikes were any faster, it could, uh, this is measured by this, this thing called the reversal rate, it could, it could tighten financial conditions so much that the, uh, the economy could start to slow. And the Fed has been running right at that level where uh you could you could easily um trigger um a, a you know, if it's any faster you could easily trigger a slowdown. Uh and that could happen. Right. So if you look at um we did a survey of the Daily Shot Readers recently and we said, you know, and this this was uh, last week. He said, uh, "How many rate hikes do you expect this year?" And uh, 60% of them said two. Uh, so two more rate hikes this year, in addition to the two we already had. That's that's four rate hikes in one year. And people say, "Well, so what? It's you know, f- uh, four rate hikes is one percent. So what's the big deal?" It is a big deal uh, because uh, the the U.S. has gotten used to kind of low rates for, for for quite a long time, and a sudden shock like that um, could ha- have negative consequences. Uh, you already see it in things like credit card rates. So, credit card rates, for example, are. Uh, n- near the highest levels in, in years, potentially decades, uh, and that's uh, that that could have an impact. Just imagine you, you add more to this, more more fire to this, and uh, you know rates, um, you know automotive rates, um, and credit card rates, uh, and other types of financing rates will go up, uh, and uh, it could become a problem. And and all of a sudden, you you, you lose the economy. The the participants in the economy lose confidence, and and that's all it takes. So it's not necessarily the absolute level of rates as it is the speed at which the the rate changes, um, and how how nervous both the households and and companies become uh, in response to this. So far, it's been okay, right? But but that could change. So here's a forecast from Capital Economics um, showing interest rates, uh, Fed funds rates, uh, going forward. So everybody's roughly the same for the end of, of 2018, um, and then if you look at 2019, um, you know the the Fed itself is is pretty optimistic. That you know we'll get rates by the end of 2019. We'll get the uh, interest, the Fed funds rate to three uh, percent, but you know some other economists are not as um, optimistic about this this r- rate increase. But look what happens at the end of 2020. So the the Fed thinks, yeah, they'll keep on rise, raising rates, and and all uh, oh, is going to be well. Other economists are not as sure that they'll be able to hike rates at, at the same pace, and capital economics says, you know what they're going to have to start cutting rates it, 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 this is just this is basically two years from now they're going to be cutting rates uh, because the economy will be in the, in, in the recession and uh, because they've, they've potentially overshot you know the hike rates too much uh, and that's uh, you know, so that's a concern. So one of the signals that everybody uh, is 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 tracking these days is the yield curve. Uh, the yield curve has been flattening, and um, a flatter yield curve says that the market doesn't think that growth and inflation will um, will be significant uh, going forward, right? Especially relative to now. And um, so the curve hasn't inverted yet. When it inverts, it typically forecasts a, a recession coming up. For now, what happens is the Fed keeps hiking on the short end, but uh, you know, the, the uh, Treasury yields at the long end are not rising. And uh, you know, the, th- the 10-year yield is you know, remains below 3%. And, uh, and so that differential says that there's confidence that the Fed will continue hiking in the short end, but there's less and less confidence in the longer, uh, uh, in the longer trend uh, in the economy. And so this, this flattening of the, of the curve, and this, this chart shows the spread between the 10-year and the two-year treasuries, which is now below 35 basis points is really uh, could be construed, and not everybody agrees, but could be construed as a signal
2: that um, a slowdown is ahead. So now we're, let's go on to the third, third um,
1: reason or risk for, for the, the end of the cycle, which is a stronger dollar. Um, and in the United States, uh, because we're, we're a little more insular as an economy, people don't think of the dollar as a, a significant uh, driver of economic growth, uh, but it is and people often forget that. Um, in other countries, people are keenly aware of the the value of their currency as, a, as a, um, an indicator of economic health, and that's why Many countries have traditionally wanted to uh, devalue their currency because you know, they're worried about the stronger currency will, will slow the economy. Uh, and, and so particularly export-focused economies from China, Japan, and Europe um, are, are very uneasy about uh, strong currencies. Australia for example is 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 uh, very worried about that and the central bank spent a lot of time thinking about it not so much in the United States but i think uh, people often underestimate that risk so this this chart shows the trade weighted US dollar index uh which is um uh basically taking all our tr- all our trading activity for the United States trading activity and uh Looking at the exchange rates with all those other countries, and sort of combining into a single index uh, based on how much trade activity t- takes place with those countries, and that's on the rise. Uh, you know, obviously we're still below the 2017 peak, uh, but uh, it's climbing pretty quickly. And, and people say, well, "Why? Why is it climbing?" Well, it's climbing because um of the stuff we discussed earlier which is the fed is being aggressive raising rates uh whereas around the world um it, the situation is quite different um people central banks in in uh europe uh or in china or in other places like australia or canada are uh, much more reluctant in in raising rates and um, so, higher higher rate differential, higher rate differential between the U.S. and its trading partners uh, attracts investment into the U.S. So, um, you know, if you want to, you can you can keep um, your money in euros at negative interest rates uh, in a bank, or you can bring bring your your money into the U.S. And put them into two-year treasuries at uh, you know two uh, or, percent, or even you know one one-year treasury at two percent, and, and that's a um, that's a significant differential versus versus other parts of the world. Um, in fact, you look at China right now. China is starting to ease. Their central bank is easing policy, as the U.S. is tightening, uh, and then you have sort of a very dovish uh, central bank in, in Europe. Um, in canada uh the central bank is has, has been pretty is pretty careful i mean they've raised rates but they've been pretty careful and so that those differentials in in policy and rates uh are causing the dollar to to rise and what the dollar is doing higher dollar is boosting um is basically tightening uh financial conditions and what does that mean uh, financial conditions is a general term. To indicate uh, how uh, accommodative the various um, inputs into the into the financial markets are, you know, from 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 the dollar to interest rates to spreads and equity markets, how accommodative are those indicators for um, uh, for the economy? And this is saying that the dollar is making the situation less accommodative for the United States.
2: This is from Goldman Sachs. So again, people say, "Oh, a strong dollar is good. What's, what's wrong with a strong dollar?" Well, a couple
1: of things. One is, uh, when the dollar strengthens, um, the, the relative uh, cost of American labor, for example, rises, right? So you, you can hire 100 people in the. US, or you can hire 100 people in Canada. Uh, to do the same job, if the dollar is is stronger, that hundred people in the U.S. are more expensive, and so you would you know as as a business person you would say hey you know I'm going to hire a hundred people in Canada instead, right? So it shifts it shifts the, uh, the uh, you know like offshoring things like that become become common uh, when the dollar is stronger. That hurts the the economic growth. Uh, it also, uh, because a strong dollar means cheaper imports, right? because a strong dollar buys more foreign goods. And those foreign goods come in cheap, which makes it harder for domestic businesses to compete with, that, with those cheap goods. And of course, the most obvious one is if you're an exporter, uh, your, your exports immediately become more expensive abroad, making it harder for you to compete with products from other countries. Right so it hurts it hurts exports. If you look at the chart on the left, it shows the inverted it's inverted uh, t- uh, trade weighted dollar versus import prices so um as as as, the, as as the dollar rises, import prices drop and then on the right shows um your exports if if uh if the dollar rises u s exports drop. And so across the board, this a higher dollar, stronger dollar is bad for the for the economy. In particular, it's bad for manufacturers because um, you know a lot of U.S. manufacturers export, and um, labor is a big issue. So when labor becomes expensive, and um, um, you know exports become less competitive because they're more expensive in dollar, you know when they're in dollars, uh, manufacturers tend to shift. To other locations because a lot of manufacturers have a choice, right? They 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 always are looking at their portfolio of where they produce and and say, you know, how do I optimize that? And and a stronger dollar will optimize it to uh, to push them to do stuff more stuff abroad, right? So U.S. manufacturing could struggle. You'll say, well, that sounds kind of theoretical, but we actually had that situation. I mean, if you look at this this Dollar chart. Uh, it's it, in 2016. It climbed dramatically, right? 2015 to 2016. And uh, and this chart shows what happened to the U.S. industrial production. It went into a recession. So uh, we had an ma- ugly manufacturing recession. Even though it wasn't officially a recession for the for the whole economy, it certainly was a manufacturing recession. Uh, as industrial production went went negative, and uh, a lot of this is due to this rally in the dollar, right? It's that simple. A stronger dollar will will hurt um, manufacturing. It, it also it, one of the other reason uh, was uh, for, for the sl- slower industrial production was that oil prices collapsed, and the U.S. Uh, is actually has a pretty sizable. Oil producing industry and related um, related industries to oil, um, and you know the collapse in oil prices also drove this down. But you can, people debate why oil prices came down, but one of the triggers was a stronger dollar. Uh, so that's uh, uh, that's the impact. So a stronger a strong dollar is, is a is a, a, a much bigger risk in my mind than
2: people often give it give it credit. So globally, if you look, the, the dollar
1: doesn't just a strong dollar doesn't just hurt um the US economy. It it really has a, a, a negative impact globally. Uh, and uh so so this chart shows compares the what they call detrended global GDP and the U.S. dollar um, on a um, uh, basically as a how overvalued, undervalued the U.S. dollar is, right? Um, you know, is it, um, it, it? You know, you can you can simplify it by using kind of the burger burger uh, index, right? If you buy a burger in in Switzerland, you buy a burger in in Montreal or in New York. You know what? What's the what's the relative cost? And you know, the more recent example is uh, using you know Starbucks latte. Um, you know if you buy one of those in Tokyo or or Moscow, what 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 are the what does it cost you? And based on these kinds of measures, um, you know a strong dollar tends to be tends to coincide with uh, really um, depressed. Economic growth around the world, so it's not just the U.S. Right, and it's a little bit of a feedback loop, right? It slows the U.S., slows the world, which slows the U.S., and, and it becomes a problem uh, altogether. So, so that's uh, that. So, this is the this is the dollar risk, and and it's I think it's it's real. And uh, if, if you know, people say, well, how how much can will the dollar continue rising, right? Um, and if you look at last week there was a record increase in in uh, hedge fund bets that the dollar will continue to rise so so hedge funds and, and other sort of speculative investors are convinced that there's more upside to the dollar uh, and and the dollar is certain for uh, you know one of the key indicators the dollar is certainly rising against against the renminbi, the yuan the Chinese currency uh, and that we saw that uh, that is already is risen for five days straight against the Chinese currency, which could be a signal that Beijing is sending to the White House is like, look, you know, we don't have to fight you with tariffs. We can just weaken our currency, strengthen the dollar, and you know, you you'll feel the pain that way. So so that that's uh, that's really an issue. Anyway, so let's conclude now and. and uh, you know, we talked about some scary things and and things that could go wrong, but uh, there's no need to panic. Um, for now, all this great fiscal stimulus, low taxes, um, uh, all this government spending, uh, government contractors are ecstatic. There's so much money flowing their way, uh, and that, all of that is, is you know keeps the economy humming. And um, you know, tight labor markets uh, keep people employed, and so when you have Exceptionally strong labor markets; the the economy will will remain strong for now. You'll say, "Well, you know, what's the, you know, what's the risk of another 2008?" And and those are pretty low, and that's because the banking system, the general financial system, is is in far better shape than it was in 2007, and is uh, the banks are are much better capitalized. You know, I I just saw the uh, the latest. stress test the Fed did, and, and it's, it's, uh, uh, the banking system is really in good shape. So there's no risk of, of having to, um, you know, obviously a recession means a slowdown in lending, but, uh, but nothing, nothing crazy where banks could be in trouble. Uh, profitability in the corporate sector is, is uh, really good. Um, co- companies are highly profitable, and that's expected to continue for some time. And that that means more hiring, and and uh, uh, you know, economy will continue to hum for now. Um, and then you know, the U.S. is not as dependent on on global growth as other countries. If you look at Japan, you look at Japan's stock market, and you say, "What? Well, the stock market, based on whatever measures you use, Japan's stock market is highly undervalued, right? Because um, if you, if you just." <coughs> if you just look at Japan's price to earnings ratio and say, you know, why they're so cheap, um, you know, companies, Japanese companies are highly profitable now, and the reason is that the the investors view Japanese companies and the Japanese economy as highly dependent on global growth. Um, if 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 the global growth slows, uh, so will Japanese profits and the economy. And so it's a very different kind of economy from the United States in that sense. So uh you know the US corporate sector is dependent on global growth, but not nearly as much. Uh and so, so is the, the, the United States economy as a whole. And finally, uh the next downturn is expected to be uh fairly shallow, uh nothing like we've seen in, in two thousand eight. Uh so you know, it'll be um uh, a relatively mild recession when it does take place. All right, with that we're going to finish up. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, by the way, um, for those who are interested in the Daily Shot, uh, it's available on the Daily DailyShotWSJ.com, uh, uh, all one word, DailyShotWSJ.com, and you can subscribe. And he, uh, the um, for those who are uh, Wall Street Journal subscribers can subscribe to it um, down here below. So with that, uh, thanks very much, and uh, John, over to you.
0: Sure, thank thanks again, love a lot, a tremendous amount of good information uh, um, presented. So so thanks again. Ar- early on in, in the presentation, you know, you spoke about you know 3.4 uh, percent GDP growth, Atlanta Fed predicting potentially 4.5 percent growth, um, and you said that um, you know. A lot of this is because of tax cuts and government spending. Are tax revenues up?
1: Um, Corporate tax revenue is definitely down. It remains to be seen what the the, uh, personal income tax revenues are are like. My guess is they will be up some just because wages are higher and more people are working. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, but uh, but corporate revenue is definitely down so where is the government where is the government spending increasing and is is that just adding to adding to the adding to the uh, um, the country's debt
1: it's just it's adding to the country's debt rapidly and the deficit is expected to escalate uh, and that's for that's a, i think it's a, another presentation for another time but uh but it's that that's a major concern and and um people think that within the next few years the um, uh, the debt will be the size of of the gdp basically it'll just continue to climb uh where uh the spending is, is become uh ridiculously high
0: mm-hmm all of this you know a lot of this growth as well uh is it is is it businesses that are increasing their their capex spending are these individuals that are spending more where, where are we where are you seeing the balance
1: yeah Americans are spend definitely spending more uh, you saw improved retail sales um last month not spending as much as the um, consumer confidence indices would suggest. If you look at the consumer confidence, it's at uh, you know decade highs, but um, spending isn't a decade highs, right? Highs, but 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 it's it's definitely improved. So so there's there's definitely better consumer spending, which is which is where most of the growth is coming from. Uh, investment has improved. It's not uh, dramatic, but it has improved, and so this this. This quarter in particular, uh, it will be consumer driven. That's Hmm. what the economists are saying, that this quarter, Americans went shopping big time, Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: in part because the weather was really bad in in the first quarter uh, throughout the Northeast and other parts of the country. And so there there was just less shopping, so they're they're out in force this quarter.
0: And where are businesses spending the tax cuts?
1: That's a great question. Um, so, number one, they're returning it to the to their investors. So they're they're doing uh, stock buy buybacks. Buy they're they're increasing dividends, and M and A, uh, mergers and acquisitions, is on the rise. So they're they're using the extra cash to buy um, their competitors and merge. So those are the the three things. Now. Um, Investment is definitely improved. But that investment uh, often doesn't show up in kind of the broader economy because a lot of investment Mm -hmm. increases are done by tech companies. And what does Google spend its, when it does investment, what does it spend its money on? You know, if it was G, if it was GE, GE would spend it on on some production, or manufacturing, or something like that. But Google will spend it on things like, uh, you know, data centers, right. and and so they, they spend a lot of money on new servers and data centers, and that's helpful for the economy, but it's not as helpful as you know more traditional um, corporate investment.
0: In in one of your previous uh, webinars presentations. You spoke a little bit about. I, I think uh, I think you referred to it as the Amazon economy, and you know how does that all factor into this? Because it's different, right? <laughs> it's an unknown to us.
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, clearly Amazon is is um, a powerhouse, and and it it does help economic growth because it, you look at the amount of hiring amazon is doing and it's it's pretty impressive i mean they they have they're putting uh distribution uh, logistics centers around the country and hiring more and more people so so they do have an impact on on growth and in fact amazon hired a lot of those people are laid off by traditional uh retail uh, centers so so it does have an impact on 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 the economy but it's not the, like you said it's not the same kind of of growth, um, and and their investment tends to be different, right? Again, it's 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 thousands, you know, server farms and you know improving their 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 IT infrastructure and and their retail distribution uh, networks, uh, which again is helpful uh, for for growth, but it's not the same. I say if GE was doing the same amount of capital expenditures, uh, because it would it would. Just hire thousands of manufacturing workers and so on. Uh, that's
0: not happening. Gotcha. Um, you also spoke about the freight index and how that's. Uh, and, and I guess it's a. Tr- is it a leading indicator or a trailing indicator?
1: I think it's a leading indicator uh, or coincident indicator, uh, but uh, freight is. Uh, Uh, you know, uh, companies are complaining that they're having trouble with deliveries because the demand is so high. Uh, And you look at things like long-term trucking, long-distance trucking. Long-distance trucking is a problem because nobody wants to work those jobs, right? And there's just not enough drivers. Um, And so you're getting into delay issues and, and other things like that. But the demand continues to climb. People want more stuff shipped. Uh, from construction materials to uh, oil drilling equipment to packages that come to our home, we need, you know, trucking. We need that system uh, working, and that and that's the demand on the system has been has been great. But if you look at, you know, there it's harder to, almost impossible now to find long distance drivers who are qualified and want to work. And uh, you know the US highway system isn't exactly up to par, mm. so there are delays around that. And, and that, that's causing some bottlenecks uh, and causing prices to rise, which is what a lot of companies are complaining about.
0: I think I read in the journal that that trucking was running at 110-plus percent of capacity right now. Yep. And I, I, might, I might be off with that, and that the cost of moving a truckload of product has more than doubled in the last 18 months. Is that Correct. about accurate? That sounds right. Wow, yeah. that, that so so that that actually will impact inflation.
1: It does. And it already has. And if you look at regional fed surveys, manufacturing services and non-manufacturing services, Um, They will all say, you know, our input costs are going up. And people say, what are the input costs? Well, you know, clearly aluminum, steel uh, are are two items. Uh, Housing, things like um, cement or concrete and uh, lumber, uh, which is also driven by by tariffs the the U.S. imposed, those are, you know, high. Uh, so, so those are the materials w- uh, where you see e- increases, but then also fuel, uh, you know, gasoline prices have risen mm-hmm. dramatically, so fuel prices have risen, um, and, and shipping costs have risen. So what, the, those things that I've just mentioned basically uh, make the bulk of the price increases that companies around the country are seeing. Right. and that's what they're complaining about. It, you you see that in the Fed's beige book, you see it in in the regional survey reports. Um, and some of them are passing higher costs to the consumer, right? Which which has you know the inflation has been ticking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue is you know, you know, is this is this sort of sustainable? Uh, can they continue raising prices given that that wages are not growing as quickly? And so at some point margins have to give. Uh, and that I think we're, we're going to see some of that, you know, tight, tighter margins because of higher costs. You saw that um, uh, one of the one of the I can't remember It was one of the largest U.S. manufacturers uh, who basically complained said that our, our margins are tightening, and the stock dropped pretty quickly. Right, uh, Procter and Gamble, I think it was, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So are are three risks trade monetary policy stronger dollar uh what are you know what are the growth impacts of these to the stock market
1: yeah so uh trade uh, trade risk is um you know obviously and we've seen this in the stock market hits industrials and tech such as semiconductors But in industrials people who export abroad uh caterpillar uh Deer, you know, those kinds of companies, Boeing, uh, those are the companies that 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 got slammed uh, because you know, GE, uh, General Motors, Ford, uh, those are the companies that got slammed because of, of the trade risks. Um, and and that's that's where you see that impact. Uh, the, the other risk is you know the monetary policy the Fed and that that impacts uh sectors such as home builders, right, so you know higher rates impact home builders uh you know real estate firms, but also they hit the consumer uh, sector um, as we've seen you know credit card rates jumping that's impacting the consumer sector, so that's the you know if the Fed raises rates too aggressively, we'll see that impact. Banks typically benefit from higher rates. Uh, but you know obviously if the consumer right. pulls back uh banks will get hurt as well the third one is the dollar and the dollar tends to hit you know large cap companies multinationals uh because if you have uh profits in euros uh you know abroad when you translate those into dollars uh you know when the dollar is stronger those profits will look smaller in dollar terms mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the reasons and obviously you know exporters uh, manufacturers, um, you know, raising offshoring risks and things like that.
0: Well, uh, continuing on this related to the strong dollar, how do you think that the stronger dollar will affect the European market debt? And is there any concern about countries with huge dollar denominated debt levels?
1: Yeah, so. A uh, stronger dollar is good for Europe, right? Europe loves a stronger dollar because it makes it easier for them to export to the U.S. Uh, you, you know, European products become cheaper in the in the U.S., um, and so they they want that to happen. Tariffs aside, right? And tariffs obviously destabilize that whole situation, but uh, Europeans love that. But countries that have borrowed in dollars, such as Turkey um will will um uh, struggle uh or or you look at um uh, argentina right Argentina the government borrowed a lot in, dollars. in Turkey' it's companies that borrowed in dollars argentina's government borrowed in dollars a lot and so when the dollar strengthens their liabilities in their domestic currency climb pretty quickly right mm-hmm. and so you you owed a hundred dollars now you you owe you know hundred and twenty dollars very quickly without anything happening, and, and so now how are you going to repay that, right? You didn't count on, on that, on that, uh, you know, so the strong dollars is going to really uh, take, you know, take a hit, you know, these, these, some of these uh, countries will take a hit when they borrowed in, you know, borrowed in dollars, and why did they borrow in dollars? Because rates were a lot lower, and so right. they said, oh, it's fine, no problem, we'll just borrow, and now they're paying for it.
0: And where is the balance with the dollar where 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 should it be where it isn't too strong but it's not too weak?
1: You know people debate this um, some people say that uh it's probably good where it is now um, and if it stays at the current level, I don't think there's a there's much of an issue. The concern is that it, you know we're going to get another ten percent appreciation uh, wow. which is quite <laughs> quite possible right and, and that's when when it becomes overvalued but for now, people are saying it's roughly where it should be. Maybe may a little too strong.
0: And last uh, last question be, before we wrap, uh, you know, besides the three risks that you've identified, any others?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, things like geopolitical risks are still out there. Um, you know, uh, say conflict with Iran could. Uh, destabilize global global growth, um, and you know, it could become an, a real issue. Uh, South Korea, as much as people are saying, "Oh, you know, that's all sorted out," it's not. It could could again flare up, and it could be other similar issues from Turkey to uh, to Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So these kind of geopolitical issues could could come up uh, that unexpectedly, and and you know could even be a string of of terrorist attacks in the United States that people are not counting on uh, those kinds of things could could easily destabilize the economy that that's the first one the second one I think the um, the United States is so polarized right now politically mm-hmm. uh, I certainly most of us have never seen anything like it and uh, that hostility could spill over into um, uh, you know some uh, unexpected you know unintended consequences where government makes decisions that are um, that, that could could derail growth. I can't tell you what those are, but um, I, you know I think there's a lot of tension in this country that that could spill over.
0: Sure. All right. Um, well, thanks a lot again, Lev. I, we, thanks. John. We, we we've gone over, but uh, you know, but it looks like everybody stayed with us you know, for the full hour plus, which means that uh, they, they appreciate the content. Um, you, know, you know, we appreciate it, and we always look forward to uh, to these sessions. Uh, thanks, John. So, uh, so for anyone, uh, thanks a lot for, for joining us. And if anyone has any further questions, please feel free to email them to us at webinars at starmountcapital.com. We will be sending everybody a, a copy of the presentation tomorrow in email. We'll also be putting up a replay to this presentation on uh, on the Star Mountain Capital SoundCloud podcast page and on our YouTube page. Uh, thanks a lot everyone. Thanks Lev. Thanks for joining us and we will, uh, we will see you next time. Bye bye.
2: Bye bye.